friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. We are finishing up our Advent series where we have titled it Desiring the Best of Advent. And this morning we'll be in Luke 2 talking about the shepherds this morning. And so um, I've, been, I'm, I've been excited about this message and just one that I feel like for myself um, has been just something I've enjoyed thinking on all week. And so I'm just, I've all that to say, I'm just excited to be with you all this morning. All right, from Luke 2, 1 through 20, you can follow along on the screens behind me or listen along as I read. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of the line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a great multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. And when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. Father, for this word that you've preserved for us, we are grateful. Would you allow my words this morning to be beautiful, true, and right, and honoring to you? And would you allow them to strengthen and nourish all of us in this room? I ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Uh, I love Christmas time. I lo- my favorite family movie is The Grinch, but I'm not a Grinch, but I do love The Grinch. The uh, Jim Carrey one, Holiday Share, Herbert Water. Yeah, that's, that's it. And Lauren likes it too. So yeah, just one other person. Uh, but part of why I love Christmas time is because Alex decorates our house. I don't do any of it. I just like get to enjoy it all. It's fantastic. She does all the ornaments, all the trees, all the stuff. But my favorite thing that we put up in our house, I get to put up. She does all the hard work. I get to enjoy it. Um, I do help with taking it down on odd years. I'm just kidding. I do help, guys. Uh, but my favorite thing that we set up is this nativity set, and I think we have a picture of it. Um, I don't know if you can tell, but this is needlepoint. And they're little miniature figurines. They're really small. And the reason why I love them is it's a gift from Diane Hawkins. And several years ago, it started with just Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus. And then each year, she's added a piece to it. So each year, I get a new piece to my nativity set. So I might get a sheep one year. She especially enjoyed the year she gave me a donkey. 
She said, take the hint. I still don't know what that meant. No, uh, but so every year I get a new piece, and it's amazing. And so, I, yeah, it's an incredible thing. It's a really good conversation piece when people come in my home. And part of the reason why I love it is I feel like it's like this incredible reminder of Luke 1 through 2. It's like this incredible biblical reminder of all that God did on that incredible Christmas day. And it's a reminder that Diane loves me. She made them for her children, and I get to be included among that. So it's like this really special gift that every year at Christmas I pull out, and Alex can testify. Like, I get really excited about it. I get really happy. In fact, one year I put it too low, and my cat got one of the wise men. And I was like, absolutely not, Pagan. Give me the, the wise men back. So now we have to put it, like, really high up so no animals can get it. But it's, it's an amazing reminder to me of Luke 1 through 2 and that I'm loved by Diane. And so I was standing there the other day, just standing, staring at it, and thinking to myself, whose sandals do I feel most comfortable wearing in this nativity set? Like, who, if I looked at this nativity set, do I feel most like in this story? And this is one of the things that I ask people when they're reading the scriptures to try and make the scripture come alive and just say, hey, make sure you try on everyone's sandals in the story because the story might feel different depending on which vantage point you have. So, for example, you might be reading a story where God is saying, woe to you, the powerful, right? And if you wear the shoes of the powerful, it might feel like a severe rebuke. But if you wear the shoes of those who are being exploited, it might be the most beautiful message you've ever read. Right? I talk about this all the time. It's like put on the sandals of the one who's harming someone and then put on the sandals of the one who's being harmed and watch the rescuer who is God come in. And so wearing people's sandals in the scripture, I think, is a really helpful way of trying to put yourself into the story and saying, what is it that God is doing in that person's life that maybe he's also doing in mine? And so this Advent, we've been talking about desiring the best of Advent. And maybe you've already been doing this exercise where you've tried on a different pair of sandals as we've gone through the stories. Maybe you felt really comfortable in Elizabeth's sandals. You've wanted something for a really long time. And you've begged God for it. And you finally have received it. But so did someone else. And maybe you're wrestling through, how am I supposed to feel about this? What does it look like to not have a rivalrous relationship? Or maybe you felt like Mary where you're scared but at the same time really hopeful. And you, you believe that God is in control of your life. But if you're being honest, it's a little uncertain and you're a little scared. And you're not quite sure what God is asking you, but you're willing to follow him. And maybe those sandals felt really comfortable for you. Or maybe it's Joseph's sandals where your certainty is not getting you where it needs to be, but your trust and God is growing, as Martin talked about last week. And so if, if I'm looking at the nativity, if I'm, if I'm being honest with you all, which sandals I think you'll feel most comfortable in, I don't think it's the Magi. I don't think many of you are walking around with all your royal robes and your gold frankincense and myrrh, and you're like, you want some myrrh, baby? Like, I don't think that's any of y'all, and you probably don't feel that way. I don't think and hope you feel like Jesus. Please don't let that be you. Like, I, I don't think you feel like you're the Savior of the world. Maybe you do. And if so, take those sandals off. They're not yours. They're his. Maybe you do feel like the donkey. Maybe Diane was on to something, right? But if willing to bet, I bet most of us feel like the shepherds more than we realize. That if I'm willing to bet, the sandals that are most comfortable on your feet are probably those of our beloved shepherds. Today, we're going to learn how we can shepherd our desires to lead us to better thick desires. We're going to talk about how shepherding our desires toward the Lord can lead us to our thickest desires. In this Advent season, we desire a lot of things. That's part of what Advent is. Like there might be like gifts that you've put on your list that your significant other or your family's asked you for. You desire that or you desire to eat 
a certain type of food because it's your favorite food this time of year and it only comes out once a year, right? Or maybe you desire just to, to have a family tradition or to see someone you really love or many of you who go home for the holidays are looking forward to catching up with old friends. Like you have so many desires, but Martin has been trying to drive home this whole Advent season that there are desires and then there are thick desires. And he names the thick desires as the desire to be known, to be loved, and to feel like you matter. He says those are the thickest desires. We all have the thick desire to be known, to be loved, and to matter. And I'm willing to bet you our shepherds, prior to Luke 2, probably didn't feel super known, super loved, or super like they mattered to the degree that everyone should. That our shepherds probably did not wake up the morning before that beautiful Christmas morning, said to themselves, yeah, I think I'm really known and loved, and I'm important. I bet you they didn't feel that way. And maybe you can relate. So we're going to slip on their sandals and imagine how they might have felt based on what we know about shepherds, and we'll see if any of that resonates with us this Christmas, and what then can we learn from this story. First thing that we learn about our shepherds is part of why they probably don't feel like they matter is they're on the bottom rung of the social ladder. And you're talking about a, a, a society where who you are, what bloodline you come from, what you do for a living is so significant. It's, it's not entirely unlike today, if we're being honest. Like, we always go, oh, the Bible's an honor-shame culture. And I'm going, yeah, but we know that, right? We have terms of blue-collar worker, which we think is less important than a white-collar worker, if we're being honest. We do this, right? And so, so for our shepherds, they're at the bottom rung of the social ladder in a society that cares about the pecking order. And they're not going to climb up it. They're not going to win the lottery in ancient Israel and somehow have a different socioeconomic status. They're not going to meet a pretty girl in the streets and marry her and find out, well, lo and behold, she was a princess. Like, there's no Disney movie ending for these guys. They're at the bottom, and they know their lot in life, and they know that's probably where they're going to be the rest of their lives. And not only are they at the bottom of the social ladder, it's, a, it's not a desirable job. It's an excruciatingly hard job for very little pay. Little boys and little girls in ancient Israel didn't wake up and say, I think I'd like to be a shepherd when I consider my future job. It is painful, painful, back-breaking work. And the hours are terrible. They literally work the graveyard shift, and there's a reason why we call it the graveyard shift. Many of you think that you can stay up all night and survive. You cannot. <laughs> Connie will confirm this for me. Sleep is important. It's why we call it the graveyard shift. It is not a good time. You should be asleep at night. But some of us have to be up because that's how society works. Some people have to work through the night. And for those people, we call it the graveyard shift. And it's a dangerous job to be a shepherd. You make very little money and you put your body on the line. You're exhausted. You're tired. You're cold. You're working overnight for a job that nobody's going to give you an attaboy for. And they're also considered ritually unclean for being a part of the Jewish people. And it's not, it's not hard to make yourself clean. Like, that's not, it's okay. Like, if they wanted to go into the temple, it would not be hard. They'd take a bath. It would all work out. But that has to take a toll on a person to know that you're constantly unclean. Because there are plenty of jobs that don't make you unclean. And to live in a state of perpetual uncleanliness that other people know about you, so when you get close to others, they go, whoa, have you cleaned yourself, though? Whoa, are you sure you're allowed to come in the temple? Like, you know what you do for a living. You're considered suspicious because your type, shepherds, tend to lie, steal, and cheat. And here you are, in the middle of the night, keeping watch. You're cold, you're tired, you're broke, and you quite literally smell. You stink. They literally stink. And these are our boys, hanging out in the hills. Crummy job, crummy life, crummy situation. 
And then the God of the universe is born. And his dad says, you know, my boy, he deserves to be worshipped. And he deserves to have witnesses. So we're going to go tell some folks about what's happening tonight. And suddenly the God of the universe sends his messengers. And he can go anywhere. He can go to important people. He can go to priests. We have lots of priests. They're really important. Right? He can go to artisans' houses. Like, these people, they're important. He can go to people's houses who are never richly unclean because they don't have to be. He can go to people's houses who never worked a day in their life because they're wealthy. He, he can go to all these religious leaders. He can go anywhere he wants because he's the God of the universe. He can send his angels anywhere into the world to announce, hey, a king has been born. Who do you announce a king has been born to? Who are the first people that get to hear, hey, my son came into the world and he needs some worshipers and some witnesses. And God can go anywhere. He can go anywhere. And here is our group of misfit shepherds hanging out on a hill, smelly, broke, tired, probably exhausted in every way. In one minute, you're sitting in a field, shivering. You smell. You're stuck in your dead-end job. You're stuck at the bottom of a society that's obsessed with honor, and you have none to your name. And you're sitting, and you're keeping the dumbest animals ever invented alive. And then all of a sudden, here comes God. He says, I've got good news for you. I've got such good news for you. And you can imagine right before this moment, they're not thinking to themselves, you know what? I feel deeply loved tonight and known. Here I am all alone on a dark Jerusalem night. I smell, I stink, I'm gross. Can't get a girl to go out with me because she doesn't want to stay up all night. And then the angels come. And then the angels come. And they say to them, I've got good news of great joy. Behold your king. Go behold your Messiah. I've got good news of great joy for you shepherds. You may not feel in this moment that you matter, that you're loved, that, you're, that you are known. And yet I've got good news. Go behold your king. What an incredible moment. And I think too often, like, we whiz by the nativity. We're like, of course there were shepherds there. There's animals. There shouldn't be shepherds at a king's announcement. There should be wise men. There shouldn't be shepherds. He shouldn't be born in a manger either. Like, there's so much about this story that we're going, this is a king in a manger to a young girl? Like, none of this actually adds up except that this is exactly what our God is like. But you know what's really beautiful about this moment with the shepherds? It's not only beautiful that God invites them because that's how God feels. There are no unknown, unloved, unmattering people like, that's what God's consistently trying to teach us through all of his scriptures. We're constantly surprised by the kind of people God uses. We read the scriptures and we're always like, that person, that's the one he's going to use? I mean, we see this in the genealogy that Martin talked about. Like, there's constantly these moments when the Lord goes, I'll use them. And we go, them? He goes, yeah, yeah, no, they're my boy. I got it. And we're like, okay. At best, they're nondescript. At worst, they're suspicious. And those are the kind of people that God consistently uses. But you know what's really beautiful? It's not just that God chose them, but those shepherds have to make a choice. Those angels come to them and say, we've got good news for you, but you need to go witness your Messiah. And you know what they could have done? They could have sat there in their insecurities and their shame and let that take over and go, we are not worthy to go. You've made a mistake. You came to the wrong guys. I know we're up, so maybe that's why you chose us because everybody else was sleeping, but you've made a mistake. We're not the guys that should be going to a king's birth. Like they could be saying, I'm not worthy to meet a king. I have no gift to give. Rump-a-bump-bump. I smell, literally, I don't know why a mom would want me near her newborn. I've been in fecal business for a while now. 
I don't have on the right clothes. I, I'm not good enough. Like, I do not deserve to be one of the first witnesses and one of the first worshipers of the incarnated God. I, I don't think you have the right people is what those shepherds could be saying to themselves. But it is a staggeringly beautiful moment that these shepherds choose to believe that God, by sending his messengers to them, they, God then must think they're worthy enough to behold his son. That God must think they matter enough to behold their Messiah. That he must think they're loved enough to give them this unbelievable privilege. Can you imagine meeting eight-pound baby Jesus? Y'all know from the summer I had a friend, oof, mm-hmm. I had a friend who lost her baby boy. Y'all know that. He was 18 months old. And when she lost him, she was already pregnant with their second child, Jade. And so uh, my friends and I, we went and visited Jade, and she was about eight pounds. She's so snuggly. And we just prayed. We did a, there's a book of common prayer, prayer service for a newborn baby. And so we wanted to do that. And it was like, a, it was like an unbelievably beautiful and yet painful moment, right, because we're, we're praying for safety over the child, and we all just acutely know that sometimes babies aren't safe. And, um, and so we're praying over Jade, and I'm holding this eight-pound child. And I just kept thinking, Jesus was this size. And I, the privilege it is to hold Jade, like to me, it's just such an unbelievable gift to hold my friend's child and to get to be the one to, to lead this prayer service. Like it's an unbelievable privilege that I get to be the person in her life to do that. And yet these shepherds get to go behold Jesus. Eight-pound baby Jesus. Shepherds, smelly, stinky, dead-end losers. And they say to God, we believe you. We believe that you must think we're known and loved and mattered. So not only do they go, they run. They run over there to Bethlehem. They believe that God is saying they matter. They believe that God is saying they're loved. They believe that God is saying that they're known. That's what it means to shepherd your desires. We have said all along that the the best desires that you're going to have are going to be located if you place them in God. If you trust yourself to come up with your best desires, you will not get to where you need to go. But if you say, I want whatever God wants, then you will find your best desires are going to be found in him. We've been saying this from the beginning. And so that means for yourself, your best desires are allowing God to say to you what he thinks about you and letting that be the final say. If you're shepherding your desires well, then God gets to tell you whether or not you are known whether or not you're loved, whether or not you're mattered. God could have sent those angels to more important people, to more worthy people. But if you pay attention, you realize there are no more important people. There are no more worthy people. There's just people that God deeply knows, deeply loves, deeply thinks that they matter. And that invitation to the shepherds is not only beautiful because it demonstrates that that's how God feels about them, but it's beautiful that they received it and ran to Jerusalem or to Bethlehem to see and behold their king. If we're being honest, and I think it's time that we're honest with ourselves about the Christmas season, the sandals of the shepherds are probably the ones that fit most snugly on us. I think there's probably some of us in this room, if we're being honest, we're discouraged at Christmas time. Maybe we're discouraged all year. But you feel a little bit like the shepherds. Like maybe there's some of you in this room that do feel like you're at the bottom of the social ladder. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not important enough. You're not articulate enough. You don't have the right friends. You don't have the right clothes. You don't have the right capital. You don't know what it is. Like, you can't quite catch up to whatever it is that we're always chasing that makes you important. We're always chasing the next thing, and you just, you just can't quite get there. You've never been the cool kid. You never got picked first. You, you don't know what it is because it's a constant moving target, and you just can't quite get there. And you see others that you think are there. 
And we see it constantly. We just scroll, more important, more important, more important, more important. All these people are more important than me. And you feel like maybe whatever, you just can't quite get up that ladder. Or maybe you're discouraged by your financial situation. You know what it's like to be a shepherd. Like you're just discouraged that you don't have the money to buy the gifts that you wish you could buy. Or maybe you hate your job and you feel stuck in it. You're just banging your head or you're working twice as hard for half the pay and you're just, you're frustrated. You're not where you thought you would be. You're not what you're doing. Your, your job you thought was your dream job is not your dream job and you don't know what to do now. Or maybe you're full of shame because of decisions that you've made and you feel unworthy. You understand why someone takes the graveyard shift. You understand why someone takes a job that allows them to be out of the city and away from people. Because if you're being honest, you have a hard time being around people and looking them in the eye. Maybe you're lonely and you wish you had family and friends and didn't feel so isolated. Like you watch the Hallmark Channel and you're just like, Bleh. I don't have that. Or you look at your bed and you wish someone were in it with you. If you're being honest, really honest, maybe you're like the shepherds and you're not entirely sure that you are known, loved, and you matter. Maybe those are the sandals that fit the best. If that's you, would you let the shepherds guide you this morning? Would you let the shepherds shepherd you? Would you shepherd your desires this Advent season by allowing God to have the final say over whether or not you're known, loved, and matter? The shepherds believed God's invitation was for them, and they ran. They ran to Bethlehem, and they received this unbelievable gift. They had to have thought maybe that first moment, hey, great news of great joy. Are you talking to us? Do you not know that we're shepherds? And the angel's like, oh, no, no, we know. And all of heaven just starts rejoicing, and the shepherds run. Did you know you too have received the message of good news of great joy? You've received that message. I've got good news for you. Christ came for you. I've got good news for you. You get to behold your God. I've got great news for you. You were also invited to worship and to be a witness to the incarnated Christ. You have the same invitation that those shepherds have, not for eight-pound baby Jesus, but for risen Jesus, for something even better, dare I say. And because of God's invitation to be in his family and in his kingdom, it means that you have to understand that he knows you. He loves you. He thinks you matter. The sheer weight of the invitation that an infinitely good and loving God would look at you and go, I want you to be with me forever. So I sent my baby boy into the world to go make a way for you to come home. And we spend all of our time allowing the world to tell us whether we're loved and seen and mattered. And God is screaming into the void, I love you. I know you. You matter to me. I knit you in your mother's womb. I know the very hairs on your head. I know every step you were ever taking. I saw you when you first tried to walk and you fell. I've seen every mistake you've ever made. And I still went to the cross for you. There's no one that knows you more than me. There's no one that loves you more than me. You infinitely matter to me. Would you not receive that? Would you not allow me to have the final say? This Advent season, your thickest desires were made available in a manger in Bethlehem. A desire to be known. God knows you. God knows you. All of you. The parts that you hope no one else knows about, he knows those parts. You know what's amazing? He still loves you. More than you can fathom, he loves you deeply. And because you're his, you matter to him. You matter to him. The shepherds give us an example of what it means that when the invitation goes out into the world, you can say to yourself, I'm known, I'm loved, and I matter. 
I matter. Would you give yourself the gift this Christmas to allow God to start speaking into those thickest desires? Would you allow God to whisper into your ear, I know you, I love you, and you matter to me? Because if we could be people that are deeply marked by that, you know what happens is we become like the shepherds, and we just go around telling everybody, oh, my goodness, y'all won't believe what happened. There's a God who loves us. Come and see. Come and be a part of his family. Come and be a part of his kingdom. Your life will be transformed if you allow your thickest desires of Advent to be met by that baby in the manger. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you love us and that you know us. Maybe that's the hardest miracle to believe is that we are fully known and yet you still love us. What a profound gift. And because of your great love for us, we know we matter. But if we're being honest, sometimes we feel like shepherds. But the shepherd's story doesn't end on a cold Jerusalem night. The shepherd's story continues in a little Bethlehem town where God became incarnate and their whole lives changed. Would you allow us to be like those shepherds? Would you allow us to run to your call and become worshipers and witnesses of that baby Jesus, that risen Lord Jesus, that King Jesus? And would you allow our desires to be met by you, not the world? Change us, transform us. Let us be lovers of you and lovers of others because of your great love for us. As in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.